Welcome to the Inspired Wild Podcast. I'm Trevin Stoltzfus, and we're here with good buddy and longtime co-bow hunter, Sean Greathouse. How are you, Bo? Doing well. Nice to be here. Nice yeah. to see you guys. You're a co-bow hunter. A co-bow hunter. <laughs> I, I, It'll call it a lot of things. I might have just made that up. I'm not sure. Um, we've also got Garrett Drack, uh, head, head of field production here at Outback Outdoors. And we're sitting in the office. And we've got a lot of the workout. We're actually waiting on files to transfer. And I thought, what a great opportunity to to uh, really pick your brain. Um, Sean, you have been a good friend of mine for quite some time. But also, I think you and I are wired the same way. And we love the idea of sharing our adventures. I the, agree with the that. The video yeah. portion of sharing, capturing. We always have those for we talk about for our grandkids to see right and um so i wanted to maybe just why don't you just tell the the listening audience about how you and i met and how this relationship has blossomed you're sitting here making a list of new camera equipment you're going to order what's going to make the wife happy i'll yeah. tell you that yeah. uh, you know so uh, the first time we met i think it was down at archery in the wild you had come in and I don't know what you were there for, but but you were talking about filming your hunts and and uh, of course, you know that's everybody's dream. Who wants to, you know, go out and film their hunt? I do. Right. Sign Love, me up. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So that's I think that's the first time we met, and uh, your business was fairly um, new at the time. I think I had just left Eastman's. And I think, um, yeah, I think we were we were in the formation of, of Outback Outdoors. Yeah, so... Uh, and about that same time, myself and a, a couple of buddies were starting our own little archery company. And really? What's that called? <laughs> Hamsky Archery Solutions. People might have heard about it, seeing yeah. how you guys just won the... The bronze, uh, is it Editor's Choice? Or it's Reader's Choice Reader's Awards. Choice Award Peterson's Bow Hunting for your phenomenal arrow rest. Arrow rest, starting yeah. back in the day. What was the first one called? That was it. Was the it was the Versa rest. The Versa rest. It was uh, about seventeen pounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Other people call it the anvil, right? I mean, it was uh, Timken roller bearings. I mean, it was really the first. Uh, idea of building a rest that I, I, I'm comparable to Spot Hog because I've shot him for so long. But the thing about Spot Hog is, man, you can almost run it over with a truck and it's going to survive. Well, you guys took that same idea of of rugged durability, just bulletproof, but then you made it versatile you made it accurate and you made it adjustable easily adjustable right right we like to say it's built like a panzer tank but performs like a fine swiss watch oh that's yeah. nice yeah and, and you know we've actually had guys literally run their bows over and run right over across the arrow rest and the riser <clears throat> and bend their riser take the rest off put it on another bow very next weekend, go to Indoor Nationals and shoot a clean 60x score. Wow! So, wow! Now we do not. Uh, please let's let's do get the the. Please do not try that. <laughs> get that out yeah, of there. Don't, yeah, the the disclaimer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but you guys started that, and then um, shortly thereafter, <clears throat> you actually spent some time with us, helping us 
on the show, and and that was a fun fun couple of seasons. Yeah, yeah. So I I guess uh, in meeting you and then shooting at some of the local 3D tournaments and stuff, we kind of grew a friendship there. And um, with our young company, you were helping us with little video promotions and little video instrument, you know, like how do you do instructional videos and DVD loops for the ATA show. And so we kind of, our friendship grew during that time. And um, a a camera school came around. Oh, that's right. That's, and then uh, I was able to go film in Australia um, as the the main camera guy. That's right. So, uh, and I'm I'm gonna jump in here. Sorry to interrupt, but I'm gonna jump in because I think that's a good story. We had a field producer that um, was literally just decided he wasn't gonna go, and I think it was two weeks before. It was ten days. Ten days before. That's you when I got off. the phone call. Right. And so we ended up scrambling, and you said I'll go. And so uh, we you, you, had you'd already been to the film I'd school. I'd been to the film school, but really never done a lot of filming or you know editing or anything like that. And um, you know, being at these film schools, I think I slept maybe six hours in three days. Right. It was just crazy. We had all these projects we had to work on. We were divided into teams and and really enjoyed the film school and then a few months later you called and said hey can, can you go um, let me check with headquarters and <laughs> sh- sure enough got the okay and uh i had 10 days to prepare and the other nice thing was you know if adam killed his bull i was going to be able to hunt as well right so which was awesome that you know um if Adam killed his bull, what? Uh, Asiatic water buffalo is what really? Adam was going to Australia yes. to hunt. And not just that, but see, Adam's family's from Australia, right. his mom, on his mom's side. So they had a chance to go and reach back into the history of his family and the sheep stations. That we, we call them ranches. They call them stations. And they actually got to visit that and, and go. And then you guys went into the outback, right. literally the outback. A lot of people don't realize that outback outdoors came from the outback portion came from a lot of it having to do with adam having that australian those australian roots um and uh, i can't do an australian accent like tanner tanner can do it at least in my in my uneducated ear really good and so he could go off on some australian you know uh whatever i can't do it i sound, i tend to be south valley it, it, <laughs> i start australian and it ends up uh, cholo you know yeah. so um but that's where outback came from so you were <clears throat> we were really wanting to in this film step back in time a little bit to adam's roots and so you guys went tell us about that hunt i remember that you brought that back i hadn't thought of that in well so so in preparing for that hunt you know coming and and really not being a camera guy but coming and getting to spend all that time with you guys one-on-one and getting kind of a rundown on all the different equipment kind of a crash course prior to that hunt was was uh, you know there's a lot of pressure now on me that boy i don't i don't want to miss the shot or you know you you guys are basically paying my way to go to australia to film i better get it right so there was a lot of pressure there but when we got there um getting to see 
you know, a different continent through the eyes of a camera um, was really cool. And spending the first week, you know, going through where some of the places that Adam had worked, getting to know his, his extended family, and then going up into the bush in the Northern Territory to, you know, hunt these, you know, massive beasts in uh, the adventure with all the different wildlife and birds and dangerous snakes and, you know, the aboriginal people, that was really special. And weren't you guys on, I don't know if I want to call it a concession, I don't know if that's what they called it, but you were literally hunting on aboriginal lands. We were. And you were one of the first white uh Fellas, you know, fellas, men, whatever. I mean, yeah. not they, they call us white fellas, okay. and it's and it's socially ex- acceptable to call them black fellas there. Okay, there's nothing wrong with it's that. not racist. Yeah. It's not racist. They're not getting into the PC war. Right. And uh, just for people that are listening, the film you can go to Vimeo, and it's called Oz. The Land of Thunder. If you want to actually, you can either rent or buy that film. It's still, we still get orders for it all the time um, on Vimeo. Um, Oz, like Wizard of Oz, the Land of Thunder. Because Oz has been, Australia has been re- referenced to Oz. And so when we were thinking of a title, we came, we came up with that. And you guys got a chance to, to actually make some pretty, Andy. Uh, that was the first time you met Andy. Right. Um, and, uh, and then you met the kind of, would you call him the Aboriginal Game Warden? He came in, shared a camp with you a little bit? Uh, yeah, so it was the um, one of the sons, uh, he's Aboriginal, of, of one of the chiefs. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, who was educated, um, but he still was very Aboriginal, I guess, if you will. But uh, kind of a, a interesting character, to say the least. Um, he was there and, uh, basically they being on Aboriginal ground, it's sort of like being on an Indian reservation here in the States where, um, they govern that area. And so we had permission to really hunt anything we, we desired. Um, so for those of you who don't, aren't aware, you can't hunt native species in Australia, only feral game. Um, we actually had the opportunity to hunt if we so chose, which we really didn't do a whole lot of that. Our focus was the, the water buffalo. Now, now, give us some other ideas. Dingo? Dingo, uh, wallabies or kangaroo. Okay. Um, Asiatic at, water buffalo. Crocodiles. Crocs. Yep. Did you see any crocs when you we were did. there? We did. Yeah, we did. But some of that country, weren't you walking through like knee high? Yeah, we, we, we got into some touchy situations. That's that, yeah, that we, is we, real sketchy. We did some things that we really shouldn't have been doing. And um, I actually did get to hunt and wounded a, uh Asiatic water buffalo that ended up going into one of the billabongs. And then these billabongs are just like swamps. And there's croc channels that run up and down the middle of these things. And, of course, we're, we're trying to recover a, you know, water buffalo. We're not going to give up. But as we started getting in and we started out in ankle deep water. And before you know it, you're up to your ankle or, or your, your calf and then your knees. And, you know, and then you start coming to these little what's like an inlet, you know, on a uh, reservoir or something. You come into these croc channels. And that's when it's time to turn around. Really, anything, you know, calf deep or deeper, you're running the risk of, of 
you know. Yeah, that's that's crazy. That so. is crazy. I remember seeing the footage for the first time and just thinking, wow. Yeah. But that that ended up being a unique experience because you guys got to tell the story i mean the the government literally goes out in helicopters and shoots the hundreds of buffalo because they're they're, they breed there's so so many of them just to try and keep the ecosystem in balance they have to kill off quite a few and so it was nothing for you guys to see a open billabong full of dead water buffalo right yeah and it was that's that was hard for me because, you know, everybody talks about the last, the greatest frontier, the last frontier being Alaska or, you know, parts of Canada that are, you know, untouched. And I would have to say that it's the Northern Territory of Australia. I mean, there's just so much game up there. But the problem with that is there's, you know, not good refrigeration. There's not population. Um, so you don't have all of the you know, conveniences that we we have here. But with you guys, you would, uh, you know, we expect you shoot something, you break it down, you pack it out, you put it on ice, you cool it down somehow, right? And then and then it gets consumed, right? And and you can't do that there because you're so remote, and it's you know we were there in June, which is their winter, and um, it's still. 100 degrees you know and maybe low 90s at night so what do you do you take the back straps that's basically what you do so that was really hard well i i guess if you're gonna look at it from the con you know from the aspect of you've got government helicopter gunships coming in and basically mowing down entire herds because the damage that they're the the buffalo are doing to the landscape and the other native species um versus me going and shooting one or two buffalo you know the the, there's a lot of opportunity there for um you know the government uh outfitters etc to capitalize on that and really promote that from a hunting perspective because if you're just getting rid of them anyways why not try to have some good come and, out and that's it. going to create some revenue for the Correct. economy the local economy it's going to create a little more tourism but on the flip side of that too it's almost like we would look at predator hunting where you're trying to keep the predators in check um because that's going to because of their their relation and impact on the rest of the ecosystem correct so there is a point where you just you being there and 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 killing some of the buff water buffalo actually plays into the conservation. Right. Well, and the other thing is, is for for me again, I don't want to just go kill to kill. Right. Um, that's not how we're taught here in the states. You know, you're, you're you want to make sure you use every part of that animal that you can. And and so by being on the um, Aboriginal ground, the other opportunity that we had is the indigenous people were able to take a large portion portion of and that. And actually utilize Right. It. So it's not just, right. you know, another buffalo two months later that's going to get mowed down by a, you know, helicopter. Right. So it's almost like in, in some ways Africa where you would shoot, I'm just using this as a general generality, but a, a, a giraffe, right? And the, the the actual tribes 
people come out and actually butcher and they utilize the meat and and you might eat some of it while you're there but right. you can't take it back to the states correct okay okay yeah. i got you i got you so i'm just curious about the water buffalo's habits and kind of how you would relate to something in the u.s as far as just to make it a little bit more comparable and understandable to us haven't been there before you know in terms of another species yeah. I, I guess can you make that comparison i i don't know that you can um i haven't hunted buffalo enough here in the states i've hunted them but i haven't spent enough time with both species to really be able to compare um i, I would every situation seemed different over there with those buffalo. Some of them were real skittish and, you know, they, as soon as any glimpse or smell and they're gone, other times you'd contact them and boy, you had to be on edge because they'll, they'll charge you. So, you know, like a rodeo bull, I mean, maybe that's the best thing to compare it to. They're built, they're really stocky. Um, they're, they're dangerous. And right. you, know, that, you don't want to get caught with them on open ground. Is that what you're targeting, though? Or some of the older bulls? That's what, yeah. That's oh, yeah. what you're looking for? Absolutely. Yeah. What do they yeah. call them? Do they have a name for the older b bulls? I don't know oh. that they do. Okay. I know that if with uh, buffalo in, in Africa, which would be a Cape buffalo, uh, they have some, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but dunk, anyway. Some, some some name you know what i'm talking about there's a name for an old bull he's by himself he's, he's the one you want to take out of the herd um but what was the most memorable thing about that trip and then we'll move on because we could probably go on for hours about this because we haven't talked about this in I, years i know it's it's been some time I, you know the the thing that we were able to um have a wallaby um, cooked up in the traditional way by, you know, our Aboriginal host, and to see that from from harvest of the wallaby all the way through to consumption. Um, now, is a wallaby just a kangaroo? It's or a is small. It's, it's a, a small kangaroo. It's, it's, it's like a, small, a subspecies or something. Yeah. Okay. It's a. It's only stands maybe two feet tall, okay. two and a half foot tall. Um, but we were able to harvest one of those, and. You brought it back. Brought it back. And keep in mind, 90, 100, 100 degrees during the day. Harvested it in the morning. Guts and everything intact. They uh, That evening, uh, they built what's called a bushfire. So they broke off a termite mound. That's going to be the oven. They started this fire, take the kangaroo by the tail, throw it on the fire, burn all the hair off. Meanwhile, it, things bloating up because of the heat. And so the guts are still in. Guts, everything's still oh in. Oh, my goodness. And then they open it up, and they keep the kidneys, the heart, and the liver, and they throw that right on the hot coals, and that's how they cook that. And then um, then the rest is prepared on the on the termite mound. Do they skin? So they don't even skin it. They don't skin they, it. They, they singe the hair off. And then when they start to cook all the other parts, they just leave the hide on. Right, right. Interesting. So that was pretty. How was it? Uh, <laughs> I, di I didn't care much for the kidneys or liver. I'm not a liver guy, but the heart was okay and, and uh, the rest was fine. So, yeah. Interesting. What a what a and yeah. I know you guys did a great job documenting that, filming it. Yeah. And it's in the it's in the film too. 
So you guys check that out. Um, switching gears. You have a family that it could be easily said is an archery family. Um, take us through that progression of when you started and of course Stacy and now you have uh, you know a quiver full of kids <laughs> and it's um, a good way of putting yeah, it yeah it's biblical and um, and 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 how archery has played into your family life yeah so I met my wife Stacy in 1995 and um, at the time I was really into 3D archery and and so of course I introduced her to the sport and that what better way to go on a date than go out and do something and so we started shooting and um, as time went on we started having kids um, the kids obviously would go out into the field with us on 3D you know tournaments and and uh, it was really important in my life it seemed like every weekend I was at a tournament somewhere and I'd have the the littles with me and starting them out from you know as soon as they could draw a little little kid bow back they were they were there with me um, during that time Stacy was fortunate enough to draw some cool tags and because she she even started hunting she started hunting uh, she's been elk hunting antelope hunting she's uh, bighorn sheep um, she to this day if my memory serves me is has still killed the biggest bighorn that we can find with a bow, the biggest bighorn ram in the lower 48 with a bow. By a woman. By a woman, right. Correct. And it's even bigger than yours. It is. <laughs> it's big. <laughs> yeah. yeah, how sad is that? No, <laughs> yours is still pretty good. Yours is, yeah. what did yours end up taping out at, 179? One, yeah, yeah. And hers is like 184? 181. 181. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that's not a yeah, bad thing to so, have. But as, as our kids have matured, you know, archery's been a... Uh, a very important part of their life to where we travel around the you know national circuit shooting 3ds and the kids taylor and um, maddie my oldest two um, compete and have won national events and it's it's you know what's great about that is it's it's wholesome you know you're down shooting at some of these areas where you're getting to experience the different cuisines and and you know yeah you were showing me pictures of that one shoot i think in louisiana and they had a shrimp boil they well like a cajun cajun, cajun broil yeah. and, and that yeah. just looked phenomenal yeah. but what a neat because those people i mean the people that go to those tournaments they're just normal people and they're good people they are yeah and so it's a good community to raise your family around right and um and then you have um so you got uh, how old is taylor taylor just turned 20 and maddie is maddie's 18 and then I've got Owen, who's 14, and Lynette, who's 12, and they're both going to some of these shoots and stuff as well. And uh, you know, wow! So and and it really you've you it's not just shoots. You've taken them. I know, um, depending upon what tags they draw, um, you've had a chance to introduce them to bow hunting, not just archery. And um, tell us about how that is as a dad. To, to to not just share your archery passion, but take it even further into the into the field. Well, you know, obviously it's something very special, and for me, just seeing uh, my wife be successful is, you know, once you're successful and know you can do it, that's one thing that's great. But then, teaching others and seeing them be successful, I've heard it a thousand times. That's more, I get more out of that than I would be if I was the one who actually you know, harvested whatever it was we were after. 
And so now watching your offspring, you know, your blood um, that you've, you know, raised from, you know, itty bitty, taking them out, um, participated in all the 3D shoots, so all these things that you've taught them and then to watch it come full circle and have them successful and harvest something is just, I, I, I can't even describe how it feels, but it's, it's special. I mean, you, you know, with Avery getting out. Oh and, yeah. And uh, I'm, I get so much more worked up when they're doing it. And yeah. of course you and I are in the same point because you're documenting it with cameras, right. just like I am. Right. And you're trying to coach them through this certain situation, <laughs> yet you're also the cameraman. Yeah. Yeah. I remember on Taylor's whitetail hunt, you know, we're up in the tree and we, you know, you're trying to go through all the things and, and you want to be calm in that moment of truth, you know, to help coach your, your kid through. And I remember when that, that whitetail showed up, my heart was pounding. I, I'm like, and Taylor's asking me, you know, shall I shoot? Shall I? I'm like, I'm trying to be very calm and rela relaxed, and it was killing me. I, I think I could hear my heart beating oh, out of my yeah. chest. Yeah, and I know the feeling. Here yeah. I'm trying to, I'm filming it for her. I'm trying to range find. I'm trying to stay calm, and I got just as worked up, I think, as she did um, on her hunt. And so. that's let's talk about that hunt a little bit because we uh, are integrating some of this into a film. And uh, the the one white hell you're talking about was 17 or was it 16? 2016. I think it was 2016, Colorado. That sounds right. And then now you have 2018 moose. Correct. That I do not know how your daughter drew moose, but God bless her. <laughs> and you guys had a heck of an adventure there. So talk us through uh, the white tail and how that happened. Uh, um, and then let's move into moose because I want to see what's the difference between that spot and stock style of, of moose hunting where you're hunting them kind of like elk where you're calling and you're, and you're, you know, raking and some of this stuff to sitting in a tree. So I think the biggest difference for, um, between the whitetail for her and I was the whitetail she had never killed anything up until that point and so there's the you know you're out it's a relatively easy hunt physically um but it's also a tactical hunt in terms of a, a chess match you know you're you're trying to play the wind you know you've got certain times of the year that are work better for different you know situations and and um depending on where your tree stand is set, all these different variables that you're teaching. And then they're not sure that they can do it because they've never done it. You're not sure if they can do it because they've never pulled the trigger on something at full draw. You know, you can shoot foam all day long, but until you get something there, you know, looking you, looking at you, or you can see how, you know, how it is and you don't know how your child's going to react. And so going from having some success with the whitetail hunt, her first kill, all the emotions that go along with, you know, number one, killing, number two, your first kill, number three, I can do it, to now, a couple years later, drawing that tag that I've been putting in over 26 years it's, for. It's the, holy, <laughs> it's the holy grail of Colorado. Yeah, yeah, so now I get to live vicariously through my kid, uh, on the on the Shiras moose hunt, which um, now there's all the uh, 
preparation that goes along with a more physical hunt. And for those of you who don't know, Colorado, number one, getting a tag is next to impossible. Number two, if you do get a tag and you are successful, you're done. You can never hunt Shiras moose, bull Shiras moose in Colorado again. And so there's the the pressure, if you will, of, okay, um, you know, for me, I, I want to get a quality specimen, you know, when I'm hunting, a, you know, in a situation like that. And so putting the work in on the, on the front end in terms of scouting, getting your gear right, um, you know, enlisting help if you got buddies and stuff that have, you know, hunted that area or just extra boots on the ground to try to find, you know, some bulls that are, you know, you'd be happy to hang a tag on is there's a lot of work involved. And so going through that with Taylor, um, she put in over a hundred miles on the ground on that hunt on, on, you know, hiking, which says a lot, uh, if anybody knows Taylor, (laughs) she worked hard and she didn't complain. Um, we had our highs and lows, you know, in terms of emotion, different things happened on the hunt and, and, um, to see her come through that with those, um, traits and those characteristics that you've been hoping have, you know, stuck, you know, that you've been teaching, um, was really special. So I think one of the things that hit me the most when we started looking at footage from whitetail and it carried over into this moose hunt was her reaction um excitement after the shot her reaction after the shot was excitement mixed with the reality of taking a life yeah she loves the animals she understands why she's doing it conservation and all that stuff that's a no-brainer but you she had two emotions collide one of exhilaration and and adrenaline and and, and, wow i just did that and the other of sadness of taking a life and you could see that her deal and it's it'll make you chuckle when you watch it in the in, in the movie theater or you know the film but the reality of her having these two emotions so uh, so high, uh, and ha- how to deal with both of them. I want to cry, but I want to scream yippee. I want, you know, ha- and which one, you know, which one overpowers the other. Right. And it was, it was neat to see a true sportswoman who, she's not a skilled orator. She's not used to being on camera. She's not used to being filmed. Right. And for her to have natural reactions uh, a couple times she looked at you and she said dad i don't know what to say <laughs> and you're like well you know you were yeah. coaching her through how to right. tell this adventure but that's that's part of why i like to to film these things and we can go back and we can watch this you know australian adventure and it's fun to just go back you know it's been what five years six years now since that and, and now for me to be able to go relive that whitetail hunt and that emotion you know, and now the same thing with the moose. That's, that's what's so great. I don't, I don't care about, it's fun to show other people as well. You know, these, you know, these stories and friends and family that, that may not hunt, may not understand the conservation aspect of it to, 
to be able to show them, hey, we're not just a bunch of rednecks running around, you know, killing every anything that moves. Right, right. You know, there's there's thoughts, there's feelings. You know, it's not just about, you know, the biggest rack. I mean, there's much more to it than that. Right. So that's what's cool about being able to go yeah. back and relive this stuff. Right. When she's having this collision of emotions, as Trev explained it, you're there as as a dad. What's your reaction to that? Like, how did you respond when you would see? I'm just at the time. I'm so proud of what she accomplished that it's okay. Whatever she's feeling, that's her feelings. And um, my job is just to um, talk her through. I, I've got a good story that kind of goes along with this. We were turkey hunting in Kansas one year with my cousin, and it was one of her first turkey hunts, and we're shotgun hunting. And we found a couple of uh, toms out in the field strutting and gobbling and doing their thing. And my cousin stayed back behind us. We crawled up in the prone position. I'm laying there next to Taylor. We've got the Benelli Super Black Eagle with a three and a half inch turkey load in there. And we're, Ryan starts calling these turkeys in. And these turkeys are coming on a string. They're coming right to us, just trotting right in. Everything's working out perfect. They get to about 40 yards, and Taylor's like, shall I shoot him now? I'm like, no, let's wait. I don't want to have to get up and chase any turkey. I want to make sure that he is in. There's no way she can miss. We're, we got the bead right on him. He's still coming. He's slowed down. You know, He's kind of walking. He's coming in. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, both these toms turn and they take off just running. And we didn't move. We were laying there still. What happened? Well, we look over to the left and here's coming a coyote right across the field. And this coyote comes in and stops right where these turkeys were. And Taylor hadn't killed anything at this point in her life. And I said, Taylor, you want to shoot a coyote? And she's like, no, Dad. I'm like give me the shotgun I will and I because of the way I was laying I basically one-handed and, and shot this coyote well that was pretty dramatic for Taylor because the coyote kind of ran in a couple circles for a second and then kind of you know it wasn't an immediately quick you know but that was very hard for her and so did was it do you think maybe because it just seemed so much like a dog I think that that's part of it mm-hmm. um yeah, you again. If you've never, you know, that was the first time she experienced something that was alive, and is now not. And is now not, and it was the the loud, you know, crack of the shotgun. The, yeah, you know, sure. there there's a lot of emotional stuff that kind of went along well, with and, that. And her adrenaline's got to be ramping up as it, these turkeys are coming. And then there's the depression of right. this isn't going to happen anymore. And then all of a sudden, insert coyote to the right. Same, right there's got to be a huge range of emotions. Well, going and, and I, at the time, I was just like, that's a coyote. You know, they eat the turkey eggs. I mean, there's a lot of things that go along with this that I just know. So I'm, I'm going to take care of this problem. And I wasn't able to think and articulate quick enough where, thankfully, my cousin Ryan, who is a true conservationist, was able to come in and, and explain and put into words why it's okay to shoot the coyote and and make it okay for somebody who 
you know, doesn't know. So that was, I was thankful he was there that day because that that is good. Yes, because you you don't want to leave a bad taste, and and what you were doing was a good thing, but yet you, she had no reference right. or frame of mind for that that part of the conservation right predator control. So that's good. Did does she still refer back to that time? I mean, does she still think about that? Have you guys oh, talked oh, about that? Oh, we have. Oh, we yeah. have. Yeah, yeah. And now we get a kick out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, just the whole, you know, looking back on it now, it's it's one thing. But, but so to kind of come full circle, when you ask, you know, what am I feeling as a dad um, in, in regards to how she's struggling with these two emotions, my job is just to know that, you know, I've tried to make the right choices along the way and whatever she's feeling, she's feeling and it's okay. And we'll give it some time and let these emotions play out. And, and, uh, fortunately when you get up there and you lay your hands on your bowl that you've worked so hard for, you know, then, then there's some appreciation like, you know, Hey, I've provided, you know, it was a quick, clean, ethical kill. Mm -hmm. Um, they don't always happen that way, but that's something she can be proud of. Um, she's providing, you know, food for her family. That's something that she can take some pride in knowing that when we sit down to, to dinner, we're eating the moose that Taylor harvested and Taylor worked hard for, you know, and it wasn't just that trip. It was a lifetime of preparation. Wow. So that's great. Why do you think that, and maybe, maybe it's just hasn't happened yet, but do you, do you foresee your other kids, following in those same footsteps as Taylor because Taylor is really seems to after the uh, the whitetail um, you know moose she's just really taken to it to hunting that is to, to, to actual harvesting um, you know I know everybody shoots in 3ds but do you see like uh, Owen do you think Owen's uh, I mean is I he think, wired that way I or? don't think Owen's wired that way Owen's got a big kind heart I don't know if he if he really wants to kill something i i just don't know that that's owen madeline um i can see her maybe hunting a little bit her her bigger thing is she's very competitive you know if if the school records you know 20 pull-ups she's going to go do 21 i mean that's the kind so she really does well at the 3d game and and the competitive archery side that's where she excels um she hasn't she's putting in for all these tags and now she's off to college, so, you know, we're kind of playing right. that um, deal. You know, in Colorado, if you uh, if you want to hunt something kind of, you know, premier or whatever, you need to start putting in, like, soon. So I started putting them both in when they were 12 for these, you know, higher, harder-to-draw type tags. So she'll have the opportunity if she, you know, wants to and she has expressed that she would like to do some of these hunts um but taylor's my hunting buddy she's the one that i asked her as soon as the hunt was over i said well i i hope you're i hope you're happy with this bull because you know you're you're done in colorado and she very next sentence was well i guess we'll just have to go to alaska then oh yeah so she's she's hooked on the on the bow hunting in particular what does she how does she feel about these films that we're doing because i mean she's vulnerable she's she's going to get to sit down and watch herself on the big screen 
in a theater full of people or or maybe not even that maybe later on when it's uh, on Vimeo or, or right. some other digital right. film format and know that other people that don't know her this is their first and maybe only representation of who she is and what she what she's like what's her thoughts on that so there we, we had um, Taylor's in a sorority. She's off at college as well. Fortunately, she's only about 20 minutes from Yeah, she's from not homes. like across country. Right. right. So uh, one of their social activities where they came over to shoot the, uh, we have one of those aerial target throwers where you shoot flu-flus at the aerial targets. And so she brought her sorority sisters over. And... Of course, when the sorority sisters are there, they learn, oh, you, you know, they knew she did archery. They didn't really understand, you know, what that entailed. And so she had her hunting bow and she was able to shoot a couple shots to kind of show her sorority sisters. And one thing leads to another and, and the, the video, the whitetail video um, eventually got shown. And so you're showing this video to um, all different types of individuals. And some may hunt, uh, most of them don't hunt, most of them, some of them are vegetarian, some of, you know, so you've got all these different types of people that you're, you know, in a relationship with outside of hunting mm -hmm. that we're able to show this video to. And I think it gave most of those girls a new appreciation of who Taylor was um, and of hunting in general. But then to watch Taylor, it actually, I think, works well because they, they see a new side of her that, mm. you know, and it allows her maybe there's some growth there, I guess. Um, some confidence and stuff is instilled when they see that and they're all going, well, I could never do that, you know. And, and really, when you break it down and you've done all these steps throughout your life, it's really not that hard. But it, it just gives the other girls a new appreciation so oh, that's cool taylor that's cool. i think it's been good for taylor so i, I we've been going for 40 minutes but i'm not i got some other things <laughs> i want to get to i know uh, this is kind of a pack we could probably go for two hours um that is awesome and i really applaud you and i, I actually look to you as far as the way you're raising your kids i i uh as a, a kind of a role model for the way I'm dealing with Avery as she's coming of age. And I've got to see you d with, with Maddie and, and Taylor and, uh, you know, uh, to see how you uh, position yourself being available. And so I appreciate that. It, it helps me because uh, sometimes you get a little closer and you go, oh, Lord, I'm in trouble. Is there an <laughs> end to this? But you know what? That's just part of it. Yeah. And then to be able to see Taylor and Maddie now young women that are just amazing and just for me to see Avery that's the kind of young woman I want Avery to be so that's cool uh, thank you I mean I think it's I think seeing Taylor on the on the on the big screen you know uh, girls like Avery that gives them someone to look up to they can identify with because Taylor is not she is a uh definitely all girl Yes. You know what I mean? Yes, and so so yet she's also tough. She's uh, she's uh, cool under pressure. You know all these things. So I, I applied you on that. Now, I want to switch gears. You have always been 
our technical soundboard, our archery bow hunting technical soundboard. You've probably taught me more about archery, specific archery shooting, all of that stuff than anybody in, with me because we've got to spend, I don't know how many times we go to the, sh- I come out to the shop when Hamsky was in your barn. Now, of yep. course, it's moved, it's grown out, outgrown that. And we would sit there and we would play, uh, you know, the games of, of the point systems and we're just shooting arrows, right. arrows after arrow after arrow. For somebody new getting into this game, somebody interested, and let's let's not get too crazy here. Let's say somebody who's interested in doing some competitive archery, but also some bow hunting, um, and they're looking to set themselves up. So what uh, helpful hints would you might get, uh, someone with your expertise give them as they're looking for a bow, uh, accessories, um, side? You know, let's sure. So so first and foremost. Go to a pro shop, somebody that specializes in setting up, you know, archery equipment. Not not necessarily a big box store, although there are some good big box stores out there. But by and large, go to somebody who specializes in archery. Number one. Number Why? Two. Why? Um, a lot oftentimes you don't have the same expertise behind the counter at a you know a, a conglomerate type store. So that's the main reason. Okay. They're not specialized. They're not doing bows day in and day out. You know, that's not what all they do. They might be in the gun department, you know, one day and the apparel the next. I know a lot of them try to stay, you know, they keep their departments together. But let's face it, somebody calls in sick, you know, right, you're sure. bouncing around. Makes sense. So, so go to a pro shop to get set up. But the thing, the common mistakes that I see are guys trying to pull too much weight and in you know sort of first getting started they're a bigger guy they played football they wrestled whatever mm-hmm. you know they feel like they've got to be shooting 75 pounds in order to you know be effective and and really the smartest thing is to get your draw length correct initially shoot a comfortable um, bow weight so that you can shoot um, prolonged periods of time without fatiguing and build good form. Those mm-hmm. are those are probably the main things. But if you go to a pro shop, they're going to be able to show you all the different styles of release aids. They're going to be able to show you how to, you know, stand properly, how to draw properly, how to anchor properly, how to execute the shot properly. Um, and these are things that, you know, you don't just get from a conglomerate box store you know or the other thing would be find somebody who is um, proficient in your area that's looked up to in your area and a lot of times they'll get you started off on the right track as well what about a used bow i mean i look at back at where i started and bow technology has come quite a ways but in the last 10 years i would say the first 10 years or first 15 years bow technology grew by leaps and bounds but in the last 10 years i mean i don't know that it's could someone take a five-year-old bow i mean is that a good starting bow yeah you you think i i I think a five-year-old bow is fine they're they're all pretty efficient you know still in that time frame by no means i wouldn't necessarily go out and buy something brand new especially if you're not sure you know you're going to enjoy it um the bows don't hold their value like guns do. So with that being said, 
you can go to a pro shop. They're going to want to sell you a new bow. A lot of times they'll have a used rack with really uh, still good, you know, one or two year old type models. And those one or two year old models, you know, they'll be four or five hundred dollars off. And you know, you can you, a lot of times pick up a bow. It's got all the accessories on mm. it. You're going to spend a lot of money on accessories if you're just buying them new one at a time to outfit the bow. So oftentimes you can get everything that you would need, you know, the whole package deal. The arrows are properly spined for that particular draw length and, and poundage. And you can get kind of a package deal for a really good deal. And that's not a bad way to go. Right, right. Okay, good, good. And that's good information. That's I mean, information about somebody saying, hey, I'm interested in this. It, al- it allows them to get into it, still be quite effective. They got plenty of K- kinetic energy going down range. Right. Then they can, once they get set up properly and get some basic coaching, uh, with, t- with, you know, a pretty decent bow, you, you can be pretty accurate to 40 yards pretty quickly. Really quickly, yeah. So. And, and that's the other thing. These guys that think they need 70 pounds or plus to, you know, go kill a whitetail, um, Taylor, her white tail was, she was at 37 pounds, you know, and it's, it's shot placement. It's, you know, making sure your bow is tuned. I mean, there's other things that you can do. I mean, I would recommend more than 37 pounds, but that's all she could draw at the time. Uh, her moose hunt, she worked up to 52 pounds. Now I would recommend more than 52 pounds for a moose hunt if you can do it. But but you also got into close range. Close range, understanding, and these are some of the things that you've talked about in regards to the alpha bow hunting right. challenge. You know, mm-hmm. understanding, you know, not only the how the a- animals acting, but understanding your equipment's effective range. Right. You know, so there's there's two different variables kind of working there. Is one's your equipment and what its maximum effective range is, versus your own skill. And the animal's body posture. That's a, that's so true. It's something that I feel like I've come full circle and am learning now is that just because I'm accurate out to a certain distance on a practice range does not mean under XYZ situations, I'm that's my effective range. And I think we as bow hunters just have to be honest with ourselves. Right. And we owe it to the animals. Right. Well, so. I, I know for myself... You know, when I started bow hunting 26, 27 years ago, um, I thought I was invincible. (laughs) And I would take shots that I am not proud of today. Mm -hmm. And I would push things. And and I've lost a couple animals because of it. And I'm not proud of that. But those experiences have taught me uh, to where now I feel like I'm going to take shots that you know, are a very, very high percentage. And, um, you know, I was told if you're taking a shot at an animal hoping to hit it, you shouldn't be taking that shot. Right. But if you take a shot at an animal and you miss or and you wonder how is that even, I mean, you're surprised. That how, how did you miss that? That was probably an okay shot to take. Right. You right. know, no, it makes mindset. sense. I, I think uh, Phil Mendoza with Alpha Bone uh, told me one time, and it made total sense. He said, "You know, I think our uh, the bow hunting community 
some of us think, well, let's get an arrow in this animal and then we'll get a second one. If that's our mindset, we shouldn't be taking those shots. You know, we should be shooting expecting a, a clean, quick, quick, good, clean, you know, right. hitting, hitting in those vitals that pops the balloon, so to speak, you know, right. when we hit, so, and, and that's going to give us quick, quick, clean kill. You got any, you got any questions for Sean while we got him on the spot here? Oh boy. It's going to take a while. I do. I, 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 I've been picking your brain all day on camera stuff. So. Yeah, right. We'll go back and forth on it. I always liked when Sean would, would like what you were saying, Trav, Sean would come into the office if it was Trev that was here or maybe a couple other camera guys are here, they're just bombarding him with technical questions about arrows, about bow setups. It's just it, the knowledge base that you have is, is pretty extensive. Wow. And I, I appreciate you being able to share it too and not just keeping it for yourself or not being forthright with everything. Well, th thank you. That's part of our all of our jobs is to grow the sport. Right. And, you know, if you can help somebody, it's just like me coming in here today, bombarding you with camera technical questions. <laughs> yep, <laughs> you know, exactly. I right. mean, you yep. know, being able to listen to your guys's previous podcast that was going through equipment and stuff. Um, you know, I've I've been out of the loop for a while and and haven't been down here much lately. So that's been a great opportunity for me to say, hey, I heard this on one of your podcasts, and can you show me what you mean or you know, right. that's been awesome. I think that's something we've been trying to do more of lately on the social media side of things. You know, what the podcast is, if we have expertise in a certain area to be able to share that, I mean, put that knowledge out there, but then take individuals, individuals like yourself or like Phil who have, you know, in, a huge amount of knowledge on these subjects and giving you guys an avenue to express your knowledge out and, and help that way. And if we can just be a medium to host that and to and to push that out there, that's awesome. I mean, we're all winning at that point. Sure. We do have a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are aspiring videographers, um, storytellers. Let's just say, let's just leave it at that. And so we appreciate them. One of the things I want to pick out from you is I want you to put your Hamsky, your 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 co-founding Hamsky hat on. And here I am. I'm a guy that it wants to be part of the Hamsky team. Okay, I'm going to go out. I'm going to do all this stuff. But what does it do for you as a company for a guy like me to go and represent you in the field? And if I'm going to do that, if we're going to build this relationship, a lot of people don't realize because how many emails do you and Devin and Andrew get a day? Hey, I want to be on your pro staff. And I bet a lot of those are just like, delete, delete, delete. Because that's, in my opinion, uh, not how you approach a relationship. Yeah, so so it's not delete, delete, delete. We, we actually do actually go in and try to, you know, see what this individual has to offer. Um, being in the uh, archery, being a archery manufacturer, um, we do get a lot of, you know, whether it's, um, schools, you know, wanting to, you know, because a lot of the schools back east have archery programs now and they want to use your product and there may be some value there, you know, where you may be able to give them a, a discount or something and, and uh, offer that. But, um, you know, I, I don't think there's really any right or wrong other than put together a resume, put together what 
you offer or you ha can bring to the table um, in regards to representing, you know, our brand, if you will. And that doesn't necessarily mean you've got to be the guy that's winning. Um, and, and you're talking winning competitively. Correct. Or or killing all the, you right. know. You, right. the, Andrew was just in um, France this past weekend at Nîmes and had a couple staff shooters over there that they always have booths at all the events. We don't pay them to have booths at the events, but they'll set up a table and they'll have our banner and they'll have catalogs and they'll, and. You make them in French? <laughs> That's where these guys come in. Ah, I got you. <laughs> and my point is, is, you know, can they shoot? Yes, these guys can shoot, but, but they're more about educating people about yeah. our product and our brand. And, and they were there this weekend interpreting uh, for Andrew, you know, because a lot of the folks there, most of them speak some English, but not, right. not very fluently. And so, and we don't speak French. So that, right. you know, that was nice to have guys that have different resources or different tools to offer, I guess. So you just, you never know. I, I when people, because people email me this question all the time. Hey, how do I get started in the industry? Hey, I've done this maybe, and maybe they have this wall of awards or wall of racks. I don't, whatever it might be. And that, so they have some uh, longevity and a little bit of, of results from their archery, their bow hunting, whatever it might be. But one thing I always tell people is do not approach, and, and tell me if you agree with this, do not approach a manufacturer that you want to represent having never used their product. I couldn't agree more. Because for me, <laughs> in, in, my, in, my, yep. in my little pea brain, um, uh, it doesn't make sense. Um, if you want validity with a company, do the right thing. And you guys offer plenty of discounts out there for industry people military, or, or military, stuff yep, like that. Yep. If you invest the $180 or depending upon what you get, you know, um, and, and then you have history with this and you can talk intelligently and from your personal experience about your product, Hamsky Archery's product, I can come to you and I can tell you all about the uh, third axis easy level. Mm -hmm. I can tell you why. Uh, because I've used the product. Therefore, if I've done that homework, it's like coming to a, a job interview, doing your homework and understanding what the job is so right. you can answer the questions. I tell people it's very, you're very wise to do your homework, have some experience. That little bit of money that you spend on that product, number one, you're getting a phenomenal product, but you also have created an initial uh, connection with that brand, and you have experience with that. Coming in saying, well, what have you shot? That's a f probably one of the first questions Andrew or Devin or you are going to ask this person. What are, what are you shooting now? Well, I'm shooting a, an XYZ. Right. An, another right. brand. Th that... For 99% of the folks, I couldn't agree more with what you just said. Um, and we do, you'd be surprised, we get a ton of people that want to be on our pro staff, but they've never shot any of our products. And they don't know, I mean, they, they've heard all their buddies talking about how great they are or one thing or another, but they couldn't really tell me what differentiates my product from anybody else's. And so one is knowing the product. You know, there are a handful of guys that 
there's an exception for and that's your you know your guys that are your super big dogs you know your chance bow buffs your levi morgans your you know the, the guys that have a name that they can shoot anything and be successful with you know but here's the thing with us one little unique fact we do not pay any of our pro staff to shoot our product you so never you never have we never have right. and so if you see you know levi morgan shooting our peep site it's not because we're paying him you know dave cousins shooting our arrow rest not because we're paying him we'll give him product but we don't we don't right. pay any of them they they are shooting our product because they really feel that they can win with that right. so that's one of the well, and you, you same thing with us and to be quite vulnerable um uh, we shoot your rest we shoot your peep and you don't pay us correct and um there's a reason i think one is quality um expertise and friendships let's not let's not forget that that this industry that we love so much is really founded in relationships right and um you start building those relationships and sometimes they're uh, a business relationship where you're you're you know a partner and you're paid and sometimes it's a personal relationship which is ours i think i agree and and uh, in the fact that we don't get paid um and yet it's the only thing on our bows uh, for a reason right so, well we've yeah it's been pretty cool watching Outback Outdoors progress in the last 10 years versus, I mean, we're just turned 10 years old this year ourselves. And uh, to be able to see kind of where we both were when we started mm -hmm. to you now the, the foothold you have, the reputation you guys have, you know, in the market with your show, um, and then seeing kind of some of the momentum and things that, you know, in the beginning, you know, you, you knew you needed to do to, build your brand but you weren't really seeing the results right away now they're finally starting to right to pay off so that's yeah. been fun but uh, you're right seeing that um, the companies grow and the friendship grow and um, you know it's nice to know that yeah we don't talk together you know every day but if I have a question or need something I'm able to call you and and you're right there, and I'd like to think. And likewise, yeah. yeah. Likewise, for sure, because there's been many a time I'm like, Sean, I cannot get this thing to shoot a bullet <laughs> hole. And, you, and you're like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and the next thing yeah. you know, I'm at your shop, and we're, right. we're cam lean, we're yep. twisting cables, we're, you know, and all of a sudden, boom, we're working things out. Or, or, right. Yeah, so yeah. so in, in 10 years, you guys have just moved now into brand new facility well that, it's not uh, brand new but yeah yeah for you it's for brand, new. brand new for much us much larger scale correct so what i want to know trev is when do we move into our brand new huge studio yeah um it's being built the, right this now. is new from when i started right yeah this this is this office is uh which for those of you who don't know this where our if you want to call it a office stu slash studio is uh, um i have a little farm it's not like a working farm i mean we got eight acres here we got three barns the old house was built in 1914 and this is what you would call the mother-in-law's quarters where we're sitting in right now it's a two-bedroom fully contained little little house um and we you know how long we've we been here five six years 
of course, I've owned this property for longer, but when we moved into the, we used it as a rental property. And when uh, we decided to move out into the farmhouse, um, we did some work on it, stuff like that. And then what are we going to do with the little house? And I said, I need an office. So I thought, well, we'll make it into an office. And it worked out perfect. And now it's literally uh, just stacked Cram- with bows. Tripods, camera gear. I mean, it is, uh, yeah. Hard drives. Boy, we just went through a pile of them. Yeah. So <laughs> so I don't, to answer your question, Garrett, is as soon as uh, as soon as we get uh, that that uh, you know that big contract, uh, I know I, you know I, I, it is. And people, I, I, and I'm really transparent. I work a day job. Garrett's really the only person that's. Although I am full time without back outdoors, I'm working two full time jobs. Garrett's the only one that's really, um, and he does other stuff on the side too. Um, there's just not a lot of money in what we do. Unfortunately, being a storyteller doesn't pay real well. No, you don't do it for that reason. But we don't. No. And um, I, I, I think on other podcasts we've talked about this, that we don't want to discourage anyone who this is their passion. But if you think if your why of why you're getting into this and telling your story is because you want to be famous, you just need to do something else, or maybe because you want to get rich, well, no, you need to do something else, or three, uh, because it's what you, who you are and what you want to do to share your adventures, uh, you might just fit into this, but don't quit your day job. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the key. And we've had the fortune of working with you, Sean, on a couple of films, starting with uh Oz the Land of Thunder we've got to work with you when you actually videoed um Andrew kill that amazing the amazing moose in Colorado and that was just a great film uh, and then now getting to see some of these films coming up with um well Whitetail Taylor's Taylor's yeah. films and uh, you know so in the future we want to again continue to work and actually continue to get maybe see if we can get you back. You were on the show quite a bit for a while there, and, and then you kind of got really busy. Yep. And yep. now hopefully we can wrap you back into coming back on some hunts with us yeah. on the show and and then seeing what happens from there. But I think we could go on forever and ever. <laughs> I, I, I really enjoy this type of a podcast. It's almost spontaneous. You know, you're here in the office for something else, and we're actually still downloading footage, and so it's – a chance for us to step aside for an hour and and go go down memory lane a little bit yeah. and, and talk about the yeah, future. It was fun. Yeah, yeah. So I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Real quick, where uh, hamskyarchery dot com? Uh, let's. How can people find yeah, you? So hamskyarchery dot com. Um, we're just getting ready to launch a brand new website uh, here in the next month or so. So that'll be new. We've got a current website, so you can still find us. Um, we're on social media, on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I think one of the neat things is that early, even the earlier videos you guys did where um, people don't understand third access. And the uh, you guys, that was really, you were the innovators when it came to third access. And I'm going to take just a second and you see if I can remember how to explain this. But third access is so important, especially in mountainous country. Uh, I think of Ibex. You and I have both killed an Ibex with a bow, which we're in rare, uh, you know, we're in pretty good company because it's, it's a two, two, right. 3% Club, type success. Yep, yeah. Yep. And um, being able to have your third axis properly aligned, 
can make a huge difference, and it's all mathematics, but as you go up to that 45 or, or uh, to the 45 shooting downward, you're talking about a movement of anywhere from 3 to 4 inches at 40 yards to 60 yards. And um, I think people need to investigate that. Now, if your length of shot is 25 yards, third axis is not going to be as big a deal, but it will affect your impact point. And, um, you know, so I encourage all the listeners to go to hamskyarchery.com and, and, and watch some of the videos on third axis and why it's important. And then even to that point of getting just the little easy axis, the third, third axis easy level, how simple it really is to make that adjustment so that, again, now you have your first axis, your second axis, and then your third axis, which as you, the flex of your bow and a lot of shops make this mistake. They set third axis when the bow is at rest. Correct. And the torque, the twisting of the yeah. of the riser. Right. So what? what well, really, what it boils down to is when you draw the bow back um, from static to full draw, the load transfers over to the cables, and the cables now absorb. The, you know, a lot of the, that's what the lead off is. So if you're shooting a you know a seventy pound bow and you draw it back, now 65, 80% of the, depending on the model, transfers over to the cables. Now it's wanting to pull more in that direction, causing the bow to pivot in your hand. So it's not so much torque, although there is that some. Can. Yeah, there's some, but it's more of that bow pivoting in the hand. So I don't know if anybody's um, put on a longer stabilizer or something, and you know, when their bow is at rest and they've got their arrow knocked, their their arrow kind of lines up with their stabilizer. But then when they draw back, if they've ever kind of looked in their per peripheral vision, if they're a right-handed archer, their stabilizer will point more to the right and their arrow will be pointing more towards the, you know, straight towards the target. And that's demonstrating that static to full draw shift. And if you think about it, your sight is attached to the riser. So your sight is pivoting the same direction right. as the stabilizer is, which means if you don't adjust your bubble back to square to the eye, when you tilt up or tilt down hills, your bubble will run out. And when your bubble runs out, you're going to change the cant of your bow. So you're going to tilt the bow thinking you're leveling the bow when in reality you're actually you're changing the cant of mm -hmm. your bow. And you can cant your bow all you want as long as you keep that same cant no matter where right. uphill or downhill you're right. aiming. It's when you start changing the cant of your bow that your point of impact changes. Right. And that, and so, that really made sense to me when I think it's, man, five, maybe six ATAs ago, you guys did a seminar and I went in there and you put a laser on the end of your arrow and a laser on the end of your stabilizer. Right. And at rest, those two little laser points were right next to each other. Then Andrew would come to full draw and, and all diverged. of a sudden it was five inches apart. Right. And then you can e equate that into how many degrees of static to full draw shift you have. You can do the mathematics, which uh, Andrew is always our mathematician. Oh, yes. But he's been able to do the trigonometry and figure out how much those lasers diverge, depending on that model of bow, how, as to how much the bubble will run out. He's able to put the math to it. 
and see at different degree angles, up or down, at different distances, how much impact that would change. You know, in, in terms of that would change it two inches at this distance, right. five Four, inches yeah, at that mm-hmm. distance, at this slope. We were able to then test that and to, to make sure his results were right. And so, and they were, and then we've created the easy third axis level as a tool to allow you to set your first and second axis statically and then set your third axis at full draw, which is really where you need to set right. your third axis. And it's easy. I, listeners, just, I, I beg you, I am not a, a smart man, okay? I need things to be simple. And when I was shown how to do this, I could literally do this myself because when I'm at full draw, the last thing I need, especially uh, when we're Ibex hunting or, or mountain you goat hunting, you might only get or, one shot. You might only get one shot. And I'm at full draw. The last thing I need to be worried about is, am I going to be four inches to the left here uh, um, or four inches yeah. to the right, depending upon what we're looking at? And um, it's just that another aspect of really having your equipment uh, tuned in so that it really is you. Right. I can never outshoot my bow. I've, I'm, we were talking about old bows. I could take an old bow from 10 years technologies back. I still can't outshoot that bow. That bow right. can be more accurate than I can be. But with the ability and the ease of this, I know this sounds sales pitchy, but I, I encourage people because it's just get, it's just get it right. Get right. it right. So whether right. you're at a tree stand and you're shooting down, that is an angle. It might only be 20 yards. You're not going to have maybe that major change, but right. it's still the ability to know that my level my level is bub- my bubble is level whether I'm at a 45 degree pointing down out of a tree stand or on flat ground shooting in my backyard. Right. right. And it's still the well, same. Well, it's just it's kind of like what these podcasts are all aimed to do. It's to educate people and make you better. Take all of the variables out. As many variables as you can out of your equipment, yourself, your preparedness, f- whether it be filming, whether it be hunting, whether it be right. any sport. Just gain as much knowledge as you can so that you can be successful. Yeah. Got anything, Garrett? I never thought of that before, Sean. I've I've run the third axis on my bow. I've always done it from a static position. And I've done this. I've been well, shooting archery for 20-something years, 25 years. I never thought of doing it at full draw. There, there are a lot of um, companies out there that make quote, I'm air quoting for those of you who can't see, <laughs> uh, third axis levels that you mount your sight to off the bow, you tilt it forward and up and down and they say, you're set. You're set. And, and then you go out and shoot and you miss left uphill and you miss right downhill or vice versa. And you're like, something's not right. And, and what they're not taking into effect is that static to full draw shift. So the I never thought, f- of and that. I have to say, apologize because here I am. I know this, and I do it all the time. I use the door jam in the in the kitchen there. I do it every time I get a new bow. It's one of I get everything set up, mm-hmm. you know, tuned. But I come in here and I come to full draw and I come down and up. I need to yep. move my uh, my third axis to it. Yeah, but up oh, there it's yep. perfect. It's on. Yep. And I I haven't shared that with you. Yep. That's exactly how I did it. The yep. same way. Yeah. We should schedule you to come yeah. in like every week, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> you we can run through trade knowledge. Yeah. Trade knowledge. I'm, yeah. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Well, this has been amazing. I hope you guys like this. As always, we want to encourage you guys to click the old subscribe button. 
uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast, uh, I mean Podbean, whatever, however you're listening to this, give us a rating. Um, hopefully you like this info. This is going to help us become more effective. Um, it's going to help us be found. Um, and then, you know, we hope that we can inspire you to go find your wild, um, get out God's creation, find your wild, and embrace it. And we'll see you down the trail.